be you, love you, always, always. Alexandra L. Season 2, Episode 1, The Avatar State. season two season two we're actually doing it it's actually it's happening actually happening literally right we're now. doing it more live than we are have done in previous times because we're not going to be backlogging like a whole 20 episodes before we start the season we're going to be doing this almost week to week um, and I think that's intentional because what that allows for is a little bit more audience involvement. We want you and your voices heard. And so we have a few uh, little things that we're going to be trying this season that hopefully we get to hear your voice a little bit more. Just as a reminder, I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And this is Ben Pruitt. And we have a very special addition to this podcast that I am incredibly excited about. Who else is excited? Me. Excellent. We have a live producer who is mixing this currently and his name is max gongware max gongware say hi hi and he is going to be live mixing this entire thing for us uh so we don't have to do much post but also because he has a very unique ability to just give brilliant insight it might sound like crud so far but give me a moment he's and working on the tweaks out. um but max something you need to know about max uh max Loves the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, he also works for a, a youth-serving organization, nonprofit that's pretty big. Um, and he has never seen an episode of Avatar: The Last Airbender or Legend of Korra. Um, he has. That's true. But on the other hand, I also have not done any research about it. So, <laughs> so he is. Um, he knows nothing about what we're talking about, which is going to bring us to one of our favorite segments a little bit uh, later this episode. But Ben, we are diving into season two. That's right. Book two. That's right. And what's the book title? The first book is Water. Second the... title is Earth. It's Earth. Yeah. So a lot of earthy things happening. We spend a lot of time in the Earth Kingdom That's this right. season. Lots of Earth Kingdom time. And for a lot of our characters, just like last season, we're going to be looking through each individual episode through a specific lens that gears towards us uh, t taking this content and looking at it in a different way. That's the goal. Um, so hopefully you get some new gleanings out of this. Is that a thing? Do you get new gleanings? New gleanings. You can glean new things. Also sweet potatoes. Tell me more about that, Max. That's, what, that's how you farm a sweet potato is you glean it. I already learned. I'm so happy he's here now. Wow. I've already learned something new. Great. Um, so this is going to be a fun ride. So, Do these what, people know where we're from? We are currently recording at the uh, Rosemary Studios in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Well, like sweet potatoes are one of North Carolina's top cash crops. So <laughs> We're still on sweet What's potatoes. number two? <laughs> I don't know. But I know sweet potatoes are up there. Which is why, like, if the people are probably wondering, like, why is the new guy talking about sweet potatoes? It's because I'm from North Carolina. You're a big North Carolina guy. I've been in fourth grade before in the state of North Carolina. Thus learning the state history of North Carolina. I think there will be a lot more tangents this oh, episode. Oh, there's going to be a lot more tangents. And, and don't I'm, forget cosines. I'm 100% here for it. Um, ben, what is the first lens we're looking through? Episode 1, The Avatar State. So... Uh, we are looking at the Avatar state through a lens of self-care. Which state is the Avatar state in? Oh, Max is going to Well, we're so always much. in North Carolina. And so North Carolina is where we're going to be right now. And that's where I watched the episodes, where I recorded my show notes. But the Avatar state, we're going to talk a lot about this episode. And we've talked about it before, but we're going to break it down a little bit differently because that's the title of the episode. Max also has not listened to any of our first season of this. So he's coming into this completely blind. There's the season one. <laughs> yeah, anyways. I thought it was like one of those things where y'all just started it too because Is like, that a shtick that people have? No, but I don't it know. It could be. Um, self care, Ben, what is self care for you? Wow. Okay. So for me, I think 
Self-care involves a lot of me putting me first. And I think that's what makes self-care really hard is a lot of times I'm... You're selfish. Sort of, it feels selfish sometimes to be self-care. But I don't think self-care is selfish, honestly. I think when, um, when self-care is at its best, what self-care does and what it allows for is it allows me for me to better serve others. If I'm providing myself with enough care to where I feel cared for and loved and I feel like I'm in a good spot, I have more to give others and therefore I'm at a better place. Uh, similar to the concept that you can't fill other people's cups if your pitcher is empty. That's a great analogy, yeah. Like, you just don't have the capacity to do that. Yeah, thanks for painting that picture. So what, when people say like, um, I took a self-care day and I took a bath and I had a bath bomb and a glass of wine... Like, does that constitute self-care, or is that not the same thing? I mean, or is that, like, a misconception of, like, self-care is, like, taking a bubble bath? I think it can. I think it just depends on the person. I think it depends on what you're getting out of it. There's a really uh, cool author that I've talked about before. Her name is Brene Brown. Uh, she talks about uh, a thing in Daring Greatly where somebody she quotes from is talking about chocolate. And chocolate can be... A little piece of chocolate can be a holy wafer of goodness, and you can be mindful and be present while you're tasting that chocolate, and it can bring you joy, or you could be like, I need some chocolate, stuff it in your face, and be like, okay, now I need more chocolate to continue to stuff in my face, to take my mind off of the troubles and stress that I have. And I think one is self-care and one is numbing, right? The first, the former, is self-care, where you're like, wow, this is bringing me joy, this is making me better. The second is you're trying to use that chocolate to numb the pain that you're in, and that's not self-care. Now, is that an amount thing? So, like, having a good beer could be self-care, but having too many good beers, is that numbing at a certain point? So is that an amount thing, or is it really more about the way that you experience that moment? Again, I think it's dependent upon the person, because for one person, one beer can be too much, and that can be numbing any sort of alcohol, any sort of drug-induced anything can be numbing. Whereas, it, I think it, it depends on the person. It's highly individual. Well, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a really great conversation, especially looking at this episode where we get a lots, lots of moments where you say, is this self-care? Could they have done this better if they took care of themselves? Um, and it goes, it goes pretty deep in this first episode. It's pretty heavy from the get-go. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. But before we dive into the happenings of the episode, last season we did Descending Word Recap. 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 And thank God that's over. Yeah, we're not doing that again. Well, it was fine for what it was. Um, but we've got a new... With Max here, we've got a new game that every week we're going to give Max about 30 seconds to a minute to recap an episode that he hasn't seen. Now, you're at home saying, how is that going to work? Well, let me tell you. One, we will give him the first scene of the episode. We will then give him the last scene of an episode. And then we will give him five keywords. And he will try to piece together, with the use of those five keywords, uh, what happens in that episode. And then Ben and I will grade him on that. Uh, and then give you a quick recap of what actually happens in the episode afterwards. But I want to see if by 20 episodes deep in season two, can he, like, figure out where this is going by learning the characters and learning this universe without ever watching the show? We'll find out. So, Max, are you ready? Yeah, ready as I'll ever be. All right. Max's uninformed recap is coming at you. First scene... Aang is having a nightmare and is running from himself while in the Avatar state. Dang, Aang. The last scene in this episode... Wait, what uh, was the first scene again? I got fixated you, on the Aang, Aang joke. Part. Aang is having a nightmare and is running from himself in the Avatar state. Spooky. Mm -hmm. The last scene is Azula telling a village that they cannot harbor Zuko and Iroh. Azula is Spanish for blue. And I don't think that's right. <laughs> and uh, we then get a cut to Iroh and Zuko cutting off their hair to go into hiding. Mm. So do you need those scenes again, or do you feel like you got the scenes? Uh, one more. Give me one, one more time. Aang is running away from himself in the Avatar state in a nightmare he's having. And Azula is, at the end of the episode, telling a village they can't harbor Zuko and Iroh. And Zuko and Iroh cut their hair to go into hiding. Your key words are general, weapon strategy, manipulation, 
and massage. I feel like you should have written this down for me on like a somewhere so that I could like actually do well, this. Well, we are learning as we go. Next time. All right. Keywords again: general, weapon, strategy, manipulation, and massage. Are you ready? Sure. You've got thirty seconds on your mark. Get set. Go. Well, of course, the episode starts with uh, that guy uh, Azulo. Nope, uh, Avo uh, Ang having a nightmare in the Avatar state, and then he generally was pretty afraid of that um, because Zuko is harboring weapons um, without any um, tea parties to throw into the Boston Harbor. Um, And then um, there are some other characters around who are also um, weaponizing generals. Uh, I have forgotten all of the other keywords you wanted me to use. Massage would be the one Um, you haven't hit on. I'm massaging my way to the end of the scene of, of the episode. And of course, that final scene again. There was a Zuko, and there was a zucchini. Um, uh, Ava, was there an Ava? Azula. Azula, who's uh, who? Zuko. Can we say that? <laughs> Probably not, right? Um, and that was how that episode ended. This I'm pretty sure. It's a kids' sure. show, Max. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. yeah like it. Nobody told me. <laughs> And that's the uninformed that's recap. That's the uninformed recap. We will rein him in on a leash. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, leash one of the keywords? <laughs> this is a weird show, y'all. Yeah, Leashes, it just got a lot weirder. Weapons. <laughs> I love this game already, though. All uh-huh. right, Ben Pruitt, uh, you've got uh, 30 seconds to give a quick recap of can the episode. Can you do better than me? Yeah, I think we'll find out. Uh, if you would like to pick Max's next keywords for future episodes, just tweet at us. Uh, at the Archive and at Wait. Bending Not Breaking, which is at BNB underscore pod. As producer of the show, do I have social media responsibilities too? Not yet. Not after that 30 second recap. <laughs> we're there. We're at BNB underscore pod is our Instagram. BNB, now we're talking. And our Twitter. So at BNB underscore pod. Uh, so give us keywords for the next future episodes and see if they make it on to. Uh, future listings. All right. Meanwhile, the Avatar State, short recap, actually happened. Here's what happened. So Aang is having a nightmare about his like experience in the Avatar State, and he's pretty fearful of himself. That's what we learn upon his waking. Katara and Sokka are talking to him. They're trying to figure it out, and he's like generally nervous. They arrive at the Earth Kingdom, and this general guy is trying to manipulate Aang into jumping into the Avatar State Avatar State on command so that they can use him against the Fire Nation now instead of once he's mastered all the elements. As a... As a weapon. weapon. Yeah. Oh, I have to use the keywords too? Uh, you, are, you already were doing that great uh, in, in a anyway, great way. But Anyway, then we find out that Azula comes in, tries to get Iroh and Zuko back to the Fire Nation. She's manipulating him, saying, oh, Daddy wants you home. Really, he doesn't. He, that She's just trying to get him back home. So they find out at the end that... She's trying to treat them as prisoners. They fight their way out. And then we get to eventually Aang kind of blowing up in the Avatar state once the general takes Katara down into the dirt, realizes not actually uh, unsafe, comes out of it, realizes that's a big no-no, and then they go try to find Amashu on their own. Well done. At some point, Iroh gets a massage. Oh, yeah. At I forgot point. to mention that Iroh gets a massage. At the very beginning. Wait, I even got that one, man. No. No, you didn't. <laughs> Iroh got it, bro. <laughs> so, uh, as we're talking about self-care in this episode, great recap, by the way. Wonderful. Better than... I would rate it better than Max's. Max, I'm, for comedy purposes, I'm going to give you a B+. Plus. For I, content purposes... I don't purposes, know. I'm going to give him a B. I'm going to give you about a D-. minus. I'm just here for the comedy points. Well, if that's all that matters to you, you are just skating by on the grading scale right now. Cool, 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 you, cool. But I believe in you. So let's talk about some self-care in this episode. Yeah. What are some things that you noticed? Oh, moments that popped up for me. Are we just bouncing around or are we kind of going through I chronologically? Do you do you. Whatever. What comes up? So one of the first things for self-care... Um, for me, uh, that was interesting is I view uh, feedback or sharing. I'm a very, like I'm an extrovert by nature. And so sharing to me can be a form of self-care, the chance to soundboard off of people, the chance to talk through ideas. Um, 
talk through my thoughts I can find as a very uh, healing process. And so it was interesting for me when Aang is on the ship and has the nightmare and Katara goes, do you want to talk about it? Aang goes, no. But I was having this nightmare and I was in the Avatar state and I was <laughs> running from myself. So like, and how frequently that happens where people are like, no, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to burden you with my thoughts or my feelings. Sure. Um, but then some, a lot of times, but there's still a want to do that. There's still a want to like debrief or a want to soundboard. Um, and I thought that was a, an interesting moment for me where Aang was like, no, I don't want to talk about it. Anyways, here's what happened in my dream. And that was scary. And he it's, even says like, I was scared, which what a vulnerable thing to so, say. So do you treat that as like him being like trying to observe social niceties of like, no, I don't want to burden you. And then like realizing that he wants to just ignore that. Or was that a conscious decision? Like, how do you see that? I think it was almost, I think it's subconscious. A lot of the times when we do that, I think it was for him as a, no, no, it's, I'm fine. Like I'm good. Like I'm like, I can man up. I'm like, I don't need to, to weigh down on you. Like I am what I am. So and he's playing almost a kind of toxic masculinity. Almost. But I think that so many times we do that, like we don't ask for help. Right. And so I think that that's an extension of that. I think this is an extension of saying I need help. And he even says, I, I was scared. I was scared in that dream, yeah. and that was scary for me, um, and allowed for the feedback from Katara at that moment, which, to me, again, that is self-care, to be able to sit there and say, like, I'm battling with this, I'm grappling with this, can we talk about it? It's a very vulnerable process, yeah. but it's also, it could be a very cathartic and healing process. Well, there's some saying out there that talks about how, like, you're as sick as your worst secret, right? And if this is something that's eating at you, eating away at you, and you're keeping it on the inside, it's going to get worse. Whereas if you're able to bring it to the light, it's going to diminish. Because all of those dark things disappear when you speak light to it and you bring, um, put it out in the open. Yeah. And then the, as the gang is leaving, yeah. um, pa, uh, Master Paku gives uh, a healing pendant to, or a water to... It's water from the spirit. Yeah. To um, Katara. Oasis. He gives Aang waterbending scrolls, and then he tells Sokka to take care. Like, quote says, take care. And it gets played as this, I, he gave me nothing. He just yeah. gave me a pat on the shoulder. But sometimes I feel like that advice is can be really meaningful if you aren't taking it. Like, take care of yourself is, I think, really valuable, especially if you need, if you're in a space where that's, you need to hear it. I think that's a very generous reading of what just happened in that scene. Yeah, I try. Master Pocky is not my favorite character. Well, I, mean, I think that sometimes we can, being generous in those moments can help us glean a lot of different insights. And I think this is a good example of that. But for me, I, I definitely don't think that was intention, his intention. Right. Right? I think in actuality, he was like, Sokka, this is, you know, I don't care about you. You're, I don't, you don't matter to me. Take care. Yeah, you're not a bender. I don't. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah. So I feel like he's, I feel like he's left out. And so how do you react to that? The fact that like you on his face, on Sokka's face, you saw that he was sad. He was distraught. Maybe if he hadn't failed at his one mission while he was up there, uh, by keeping Yue alive, then they would have treated him better. <laughs> oh my god, you're a terrible person. <laughs> It wasn't his fault. It was her choice. Um, Goodness gracious. No, I, yeah, I, I think I agree. I think that's what Master Paku meant. I was trying to pull more out of it than, um, to show that that could be that. But I think that's what it was, right? And that is disheartening. That is, all right, you don't care about me. Um, and so if you've had that feeling or that assumption, how important is it for you to take care of yourself well, on the that, back end? And that was my follow-up. And so when, when that does happen, in those moments where you're expecting something, you are receiving, you're like, every, all your friends are around you are getting parting gifts, and you're like, okay, it's my turn. And then you're like, cool, 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 bye, 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 bye. And then you're like, well, what about me? What do you do in those moments? Like, what helps you personally to feel to come out of that funk. I think t t trying not to get in that funk takes a lot of pre-work prior to those moments happening. It takes a lot of practice of building your own personal... Tell me more about that. Yeah, so I think for me is, does that suck when it happens? Yes. Am I able to handle that better if I've already done the work of um, shame work and, and that I am enough and that I believe in myself and then and does that mean I need those things less? Um, maybe. I don't know if it does, but I think for me it's... I feel value in myself 
And so it, when those moments happen, I think it allows me to let them roll off more quickly than had I not done that work prior to that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that maybe that's the difference, right? So, but that's still, it still sucks even if you have done that. You know what I mean? It still is, doesn't feel good if someone treats you that way. Well, I think what's hard that. about that, though, is how many people are doing that self-work, right? How many people are even aware that that kind of self-work is necessary in order to process these emotions? What are the, like, the people who aren't experiencing, oh, I have this enlightened book, I have this thing, I have this lesson, I have this teacher that's bringing me these things and teaching me how to deal with these things. What about the people who don't have those resources? You tell them to go listen to Bending Not Breaking on Spotify. That was the answer <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> and they can listen to the whole first season. Um, I don't know. I've, I've been, been I've benefited from having those teachers and have benefited from friends of saying, you should read this book. And I've benefited from having tough conversations and grappling with those things and having that. And so... Um, and that's kind of a, it's a privilege to have that, right? Like I've, I'm lucky to have had that. Um, and so how do, I think more so is that, is it, I can't say how to handle that um, if you don't have that, but I can say we should all try to do that for other people. Well, it's something that we can cultivate and it doesn't have to be this long journey that you have to, you'll get there eventually. It's like this rather thinking of something that you can start now. And I think what that is, is it's something that you can start cultivating and thinking about literally right now. All it takes is a moment of reflection to be like, okay, how, like, checking in with yourself, how am I feeling? What does that mean? Why am I feeling that way? Because once we understand something and once we can name it, we are so much more likely and more able to tackle it and actually have productive work around processing those emotions. Identify it. Teach yes. people how to identify it so you know how to handle it. That's right. Awesome. When, uh, what were some moments of self-care that popped up for you in this episode? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the obvious. So Iroh's getting a massage. Oh, self-care. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things where there's a very stark juxtaposition between Iroh and Zuko. Iroh's enjoying this luxurious massage, and Zuko is literally... Pouting. Pouting on the floor against a wall... And he's just mired in the memories of his past. And so this happens to be the anniversary of his exile. So on this day three years ago... That's right. He was exiled by his father. Well, and does it say something to, to, to have that date in, like ingrained in yeah, your memory? that's kind of my point, right? So he is held back by his past, his memories. He's unable to... He's so bogged down by his past that he's unable to take care of himself in his present. And I think I'm going to parallel this to Aang having his nightmares. So Aang is like, dreaming of his worst moments where he feels most vulnerable, most scared, and he's unable to control it. He's overwhelmed by the fact that there are, there are times when he is so scary that he doesn't know what to do. And Zuko is held back by the fact that he is so scared of the fact that he may never feel like he belongs at home again. Like, he will never experience the love of his father again. And I think that both of those are experiencing being held back by our past, being held back by the things that we have no control over. And so I'm curious... Uh, how do we become present? And so that's my question for you. Like, what are the things that we need to do in order to bring ourselves back to the present in order to realize that we even need self-care? Oh, I don't know. Um, I really, I, I just, I really don't know. How do you, how do you push yourself to that moment? And I think part of it is, um, even, even if it's just taking time to reflect on where you're at, what you're doing, um, what's going on in your life, how you're handling it. Um, just an intention. I don't know if that's meditation at the at, at each day. Just intentional time to sit there and think about what's going on in your life. Um, but I, you know, if, again, for me, it's I've I lucked out. I had, and I, I don't want this to sound hopeless. Like if you don't have friends like this, this is impossible. Um, but I've lucked out with people being like, you should read this book. 
and then I read it, and I go, that gives me a lot to reflect on, and I get to reflect on that for a year, and then I read another book, because I only read one book a year, um, <laughs> and I get to handle it at that point, right? So, and um, I think that I've I've been blessed with people to be like, hey, you should think about how you handled that situation, whether it was a work situation, a leadership situation, or relational uh, a relationship, but, but hey, you should think about how you handled that, and then dive into it and i think just taking time to, to spend time to do that is important yeah um and i think it's easy well where do you find the time it's well you know spend a reasonable amount of time up front and you're gonna not have to spend an unreasonable amount of time dealing with the consequences later huge right that's big um so take the time now to think handle learn grow and then you're not gonna have to spend an unreasonable amount of time cleaning up the the wake of destruction yeah. that might happen because of that, which we see with Aang every time he goes into the Avatar state. It's just a, just ruins that are left behind because of that. Yeah, I think for me, one of the, the books that comes up that if you're interested in a book, it's called It's All, it's Not Always Depression, and it's by Hilary Jacobs Hindle, um, and she's a social worker. Um, but one of the things she talks about is this thing called the Emotional Change Triangle. And what happens is people have these core emotions, and they name seven in this book that are your core emotions. Fear, anger, grief, joy, excitement, disgust, and sexual excitement. Those are your, like, core things. That was not a character in Inside Out. No, it was no. not. <laughs> but uh, typically what happens is anytime we experience one of those core emotions, if we, we typically have a couple reactions to it. One... We, if we feel pressure and shame, we have an inhibitory emotion, which is anxiety, that shame, that guilt. Like, I shouldn't be feeling this, right? So a lot of times people are like, oh, I'm really angry or I'm frustrated. And then you feel ashamed because you felt frustrated. And then that leads you to a defense mechanism, right? So some people, uh, when they get mad, tell jokes, because they want to deflect from the fact that they're mad or they do something else. So there's lots of different defense mechanisms that people experience, right? And so in order to get back out of that change triangle, you have to actually process and feel the emotion, which means you have to get past the defense mechanism, realize that you're experiencing anxiety, shame, and or guilt. And then once you've done that, really feel those emotions that you're feeling and then the, a lot of the data suggests that once you've actually processed that emotion, it dissipates. Which Zuko right now is clearly mired in something, but it's clearly not his core emotion because he's not able to process through and get past it. Yeah, and so my question is, um, when it comes to Azula coming to speak to Zuko, is he so in need of someone to take care of him because he's not taking putting time into self-care that when she offers this metal that is on a pedestal um of dad wants you back so you can come home he is so willing to jump and latch onto that one he's been waiting for it his entire life but because he is not taking time to take care of himself and believe in himself or um feel that self-worth that he's so ready to latch onto that iroh who maybe has had more time to develop these skill sets, um, is able to kind of potentially see it for what it is and able to process it. So I'm going to bring up a heavy content warning here. So abusive relationships in general, just FYI. Um, but people are more likely to stay in abusive relationships if they are not able to have the space and awareness and capacity to provide themselves with self-care. That's the bold statement. So for instance, you'll, there are so many instances of uh, people who are staying with partners who hurt them, whether it's physically hurt them, emotionally, uh, whatever it is, there is a lot of evidence towards people not wanting to leave their partner, even when they know that person is abusive physically or otherwise. And this is a great example of Zuko in that relationship. Ozai is abusive. I'm going to label that right now. Yup. Azula is abusive. Yup. And so Zuko is a really good case study 
And, well, why doesn't he just realize that they're the worst and that Iroh's awesome? And why doesn't he just stay with Iroh? It's because he's so attached to that sense of belonging that that's all that matters. Right? That's all that matters. If that's the only place he can experience belonging to him, we have to train and literally train his mind to realize that that's not the case, which is what Iroh is doing. Iroh, over, like, he doesn't ever push Zuko. He is always going with him, and he's doing it slowly. He's going with him. He's saying, hey, let's do this. I care about you. In this episode, Zuko shame punches Iroh, calls him, uh, what is it? I've got um, it. Hold on. Lazy, yeah. good for nothing, fat guy who is jealous of his brother or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, a lazy, shallow, mistrustful old man who has always been jealous of his brother. And, like, that's because Zuko is in so much shame in this moment, he's able to lash out. And when we are feeling shame, we are most likely to shame others. Oh, yes. Right? And this is a good example of that. He's experiencing so much of that that Iroh is... Like, Iroh could walk out and he would be totally justified. But he stays. He comes the next morning and goes with him. And you've never seen Zuko look happier. Like... Iroh, you're coming? Yeah. Like, he was... He's stoked. His facial expression was like... That was gut-wrenching Family friendly, y'all. Family friendly. I don't get it. Stoked? Yeah. That was the adjective I was thinking of. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> um... One of the one of the moments that I think, and we'll we'll, we'll talk more about Iroh going back with Zuko because we had a, a fan question. Ben, we have at least one fan. Uh, we have a fan who sent in. It's not me. Uh, who not sent in anymore. a mailing or an audio clip for a, of a question to ask? And so and that's awesome. Regards that, so we're excited to play that and um, and talk about that a little bit uh, once we kind of go into our devotion. Um, but one of the things for me with this when we talk about abuse is, is almost the self-abuse that maybe we put on ourselves um specifically i think i saw this in, a, in an allegorical sense as the general is trying just to beat the tar out of ang um and put him in a state where he really fears for his own safety to get him to go into the avatar state and i saw that as almost when we have a high expectations of ourselves. so the general wants ang to be in the avatar state ang wants to be in the avatar state and so the general starts to just sling rocks and his army just starts to attack him. And how often do we just attack ourselves when we are feeling like we are not living up to expectations, uh, thinking that if we beat ourselves up enough, if we put in more time and work 65 hour weeks and don't sleep because we've got to get this project done, um, if in, you know, are we really just potentially putting ourselves in, in more harm's way than if we were to take self-care and actually... Um, handle the situation differently. That felt like a rant. I don't know if that was clear in kind of what I was asking um, or if that made sense. Did that make sense? Eh. Okay, great. Um, but ultimately, do we, do we beat ourselves up when we set high expectations for ourselves and is that the opposite of self-care? You know, a really good example of that actually in this episode is Azula, right? Uh, the, when I saw this scene again, I was like, man, she's just such a great villain. Um, but she's practicing her lightning. And what happens is she goes through, she does this full motion, goes through this whole lightning. It looks awesome. And then uh, her two mentors, I guess, the, old, the two old ladies say, oh, that was almost perfect. Only one hair out of place. And Azula says, that's not good enough. And so I think we see a really clear reason as to why Azula is the way she is. And it's because she's a perfectionist, right? And so everything has to be perfect in her eyes or it's not good enough. And that's why she's so critical of others. When perfectionism is a, is a mechanic to deal with shame, right? Like that's a, it's a mechanism to like deal with shame, right? Uh, I think that we have to start back from the beginning here when you talk about perfectionism in general if we're going to dive in that way but let's not that's going to take too long yeah i agree i think <laughs> it, that'll probably come up on another episode we'll spend time on it when it's due but yeah uh, any other moments that we want to talk about in this episode about self-care is there a character who just does self-care better than everybody else iroh iroh but and i think 
Iroh sets such a good example of what it looks like to be present, mindful, in the moment, and to take care of yourself. He gets a massage. He's focusing on... He loves his tea. He's always um, thankful. And I just think all of those things are involved in self-care. Well, and it's funny, though, because we said at the beginning of the episode, we'll repeat it now, that self-care can be looked at as selfish. Self-care can be looked at as, all right, you're taking time to get a massage right now. Lazy. And yep. so how do we really convince ourselves, knowing that those exist, to sit there and say, no, I need to take care of myself. I need to be able to fill my cup so I can pour into others. Like, if I don't do that, this won't end well. Yeah. But knowing that the connotation can very easily be, that person's lazy, that person's selfish, that person's not doing what they're supposed to be doing right now. Yep. Um, when the reality is, no, that might be exactly what that person's supposed to be doing. So how do we combat that? How do we change that? Um, is it just a cultural thing on the way that we look at self-care or is it, um, no, you've got to do other things in tandem when you, like when you work, like you can take care of yourself while working or you can, uh, be present in a way and so that people don't look at you and say you're being lazy. I don't know what the answer is, but how do we combat this, all the negative connotations that can come with self-care? I think that we have to create a culture in which self-care is expected and therefore it is not shamed. That's the short version. Yeah. Max, when was the last time you took care of yourself? I took the day off of work today. Ooh. Man. But you're working now. Is this... Am I getting paid? No. Well, then here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, one more thing. Um, the Avatar state comes along for Aang as a self-defense mechanism. Ooh, we get some Avatar lore yeah. in this episode. And That's so right. so one of the things, in season one, we were speculating about like theorizing around how and what causes Avatar state, right? And it's confirmed, kind of, a little bit. So Roku explains that it's a, it's a defense. The Avatar state comes along, uh, and that's when Aang is most powerful and when he is most vulnerable. And it comes along as a what we learn to be a manifestation of all of the wisdom and learnings of all of the past avatars happening in once, right? So Aang, when he is glowing, is channeling all of the past avatars. So literally, each avatar uh, becomes stronger because of the past, right? Yes. And so... Theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. So he is most powerful in that moment, but he is also most vulnerable. And what what a metaphor that is. And I wonder if that's worth unpacking. Yeah, I think it's worth unpacking. Unpack it, Ben. No. no, When I saw the Avatar say, I almost think of it as like a way of... Sometimes when you like take the man, I'll say like, you've got to get loud, you've got to get... I don't know. I it was I saw it almost in a negative light of like the thought yeah. process was when someone gets angry, they become like they can become really powerful. They can break things or they can say things that are really hurtful. And it's when that And yes. also is they are in a state that is their least probably the least light state of themselves in those moments or a state that people can't connect with or can't trust. Um and that's kind of how it played with me, but on the show, it's more of a positive of, like, we hope you don't have to use this, but if you do, it's pretty awesome. Well, I think it's not just anger. I think you're looking at it through that lens, but I think that it also can happen when you experience immense joy. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, like, on, on the show, it's always a defense mechanism in that it comes along when he is feeling, like, fearful for his life. And I think it's really interesting that he goes into the Avatar state at the loss of Katara, right? It's not him that's in danger. Or is it, right? His mind processes the loss of Katara as himself in danger. Or himself as a failure, or he needs Katara to survive and so and she's so gone. He experiences the loss of Katara as a traumatic event that, inc- that forces him into the Avatar state. I think that's fascinating. And that tells us a lot about relationships with others and the people that we love, right? Because we've seen hints of Aang 
having feelings for Katara. Yes. Even in this episode, we see that. And next episode. Yes, because when she comes and teaches him about the, the, octopus. the octopus, he gets all, all blushy on the inside. Yep. The octopus is a waterbending technique, Max. Oh, I know, I know. Totally, totally, totally. Cool, 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 cool. Anyway, it's just interesting that... Bend It Like Water, starring Kira Knightley, and that's it. That's all. That's all from that movie that I can remember. Wow. It's a great movie. Bend It Like Water. Moral of the story is, I think it's really interesting that we can experience trauma at someone else's um, expense rather than just our own. It's like almost like it's empathy. Huh. Interesting. Wow. You don't have to actually experience something to, to be able to relate or to empathize. Yeah. So, last thing that I'm interested in talking about okay. is why did Iroh and Zuko cut their hair off at the end? Ooh. I, I would have said it was just so they don't look like themselves. Yeah, that's what I thought originally. That's what I thought originally. Um, <laughs> it's a disguise, Max. Ben has to talk into the microphone. I leaned back and he got <laughs> mad at me. Now you're peeking. Okay, sorry. <laughs> that's why we have you here, so you can make things sound good. No, I can't if he's going to lean forward and lean back the entire episode. So Iroh and Zuko cut their hair, and when I originally watched it, I thought that it was them going through, like, this is a disguise we have to in embrace. But I think that was more symbolic. I think that's probably, I wonder if that's, a, one, a tradition in some culture. Um, but I also wonder if that was, in a way, Zuko saying, I am no longer tied to the Fire Nation. And uh, I wonder if that was a just a symbol of something along those lines. What are your thoughts on that? Well, looking at it culturally, um, uh, you know, as with as little research as I've done here, um, it looks like in, in Asian cultures, hair is regarded as a precious legacy from parents. And so are you cutting ties with your family at that point? Is that like a purpose of it? Well, I think um, it's interesting that both Iroh and Zuko do it. But so I, I, I think initially, and I think for the purpose of the show, it's a, we're going into hiding. We've got to cut our hair. We can't have this anymore. This is a sign of who we are and where we came from and make us more recognizable. Yeah, but for me, through a lens of self-care, I wonder if that's Cutting Zuko, your hair is self-care? I wonder if this, in this instance... I like going to the barber. Maybe self-care is self-care for you, right? You know, but I... <laughs> maybe self-care is self-care for you. Quote of the night. <laughs> uh, moral of the story is, I think Zuko was doing this as a way to take care of himself in a way. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. And I wonder if... Well, I think it's almost a realization, like, mm, yep, I really gotta stop trusting my family. <laughs> like, I really gotta start making moves on this. Yeah. In a different way. Yeah. Because like, he's been burned several times. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Literally burned. All right, um, well, I think unless Max has got anything to add to the episode, Max? recap... I've got nothing, folks. Awesome. Uh, we will be back in just a moment, and we will have our um, our recording from our fan played, and then we will get into our devotion. You have reached the voicemail box of... Bending, not breaking. Please leave a message after the tone. Hey there. My name is Sam, and I just want to start off by saying I love what you guys are doing with these breakdowns of Avatar, and I really look forward to the new podcast that you guys put out each and every week. Uh, as for my question, in this episode, The Avatar State, one of my favorite scenes is when Iroh and Zuko are walking up the path to Azula's ship to go home, and the captain accidentally refers to them as prisoners. Seeing how Iroh already knew that something was not the way it should be before this reference, do you think he went along with the plan to be there to support Zuko? And what does that say about both Zuko and Iroh? Thanks, guys. First and foremost, Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much for sending us your voice memo and asking that question. Um, I think we are really just excited to have, you know, an audience and having a fan is really awesome. So thank you for being our first. We hope to have a full 20 at the end of this season. So one for each episode that we tag along. But um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, did, did Iroh, what was his purpose of joining? 
what did he know, what did he not know, and what does it really say about them? You know, I, I think it's interesting because for, for me, Iroh is just an example of love, period, in this entire series. And I think he loves Zuko like his own son. And with that, I think that he is allowing Zuko to uh, make, make mistakes. He's allowing Zuko to do things and let him learn at his own pace. And I think that's pretty extraordinary. And so, yeah, my, my honest opinion is that I think Iroh knew exactly what was going on. He mistrusted Azula from the beginning. He said that to Zuko before they even got on board. And then the next day after they fought, Iroh was like, you know, I'm still going to go with you. And Zuko was ecstatic about it. So what does it say about Iroh? I think it says that he is a very loving parental figure. What does it say about Zuko? What do you think? Yeah, I think Zuko, again, we, we kind of talked about this earlier, I think he was so ready to believe that he, you know, someone was going to care for him and he was going to get to go home that, you know, he, was, he wasn't going to see the warning signs. Uh, Iroh, for me, is interesting because he is a person that is really good, I think, of, of extending generosity and assuming the best in other people. But he doesn't assume the best of Azula here and doesn't assume the best in Lord Ozai. And so is that because of experience... And because he has an idea of what's going on. So is it really like he assumes the best until you teach him differently that that's probably not what's going on and that he probably shouldn't assume the best right here. So I think he shows up because he knows like sure. there's a chance that I'm, I'm going to have to protect Zuko. Or, well, it's, I think it's assume for the best but plan for the worst. Right. Right. So like let's be prepared for the worst to happen and let's hope that the best does. Yeah. But he was quickly proven wrong that that wasn't the case. Correct. Um, so, yeah, I think Zuko, again, just really wants to get on, get home, is looking for that connection and belonging, is looking for that love, is looking for that care. Doesn't see it in Iroh, but Iroh's going to give it anyways. That's and right. And going to be there for him. Yeah. So, yeah, great question, Sam. Uh, thank you for asking it. And I hope we answered it satisfactorily. Yeah, and if you've got uh, questions on future episodes... Uh, send them our way at the archive at gmail.com um and if it's not about a future episode feel free to reflect on a past episode just having your thoughts and your voices questioning uh our thought processes questioning the show uh we want to hear it all and we want to hear from you no matter what it is perfect so do that at the archive at gmail.com on twitter at bnb underscore pod and on instagram at bnb underscore pod it is now time for our devotion, and we always look at our devotion, we look at the lens that we are tackling today. Which is self-care. Which is self-care, and we do that through one of the four elements. And seeing as how we are on the Book of Earth, I thought it might make sense for us to start with Earth. That seems very reasonable. Thank you. I thought so as well. And so, Ben, when it comes to self-care, what are you going to focus on this week? Um, Max, we're going to ask you too, maybe, if you can come up with a quick answer. Uh, what are you going to do for self-care this week? And how does that work in a terms of Earth? And can you remind me what Earth qualities are and what that kind of refers to when we say we're looking at it through the element of Earth? Yeah, again, there's always up for personal interpretation. But for me, what comes to mind when I think about Earth is I think about stability. I think about uh, structure. I think about uh, growing food. That's where our food comes from. It comes from the Earth. I think about... Um, mountains and how hard they are to move and they're heavy and it's um, rigid sometimes and there's just a lot of different things that comes to mind when I think about earth um, so for, for me my when I think about earth and self-care in the same little bucket what comes to mind is uh, a mud bath no not <laughs> uh, just kidding um, but kind of uh, I want to like structuralize and ritualize my self-care because a lot of times I get caught up in the moment and I get lost. But if I can turn self-care into habit, then it, I don't have to think about it as hard and I won't have to work towards it. It'll just be something that occurs and happens. And so how can I make sure that I am turning the things that I care and I derive joy from into things that I'm already doing on a weekly basis? 
So for instance, I've, I've been doing a baking challenge all year. I really enjoy cooking. I derive joy from learning new things about cooking. And so when I bake something new and it's successful, uh, even when it's not successful, when I've learned something, I feel like that's really caring towards myself and I'm growing and I'm becoming better. And I, so I thinking about like, what are other things I can do to ritualize self-care? That's, that's what I'm thinking about. Put it in your calendar. Make it a part of your schedule. And blocking out like white space. Say, this, this hour is for me. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think for me, it's um, I'm almost like that uh, immovable mountain. Um, and I need help being able to kind of not be the rock in those moments of taking self-care. So it's easy to say I need to have, you know, spend more time doing self-care. Or spend more time taking care of myself. But I think for that, part of that is I'm going to actively share my self-care strategies with people who support me so that they can also help hold me accountable to that. So my supervisor, um, my roommate, you know, people that I know are going to be there for me um, to help say like, hey, you you should look into doing this and help remind me that to put time there for that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Max, you got anything you want to add? Any self-care things you're going to do? Not at this time, no. Thank you. Basketball season's rolling around? Yes. So don't you like to go to, like, see Elon Hoops? Sure. At Shar Center? Is that self-care? Is that what self-care is? Do you you see it as self-care? You're supposed to have been listening to this entire episode. I've been keeping an eye on the levels, and that's been distracting enough, because y'all are all (laughs) over the daggone place. (laughs) We're doing our best. Oh, I have no doubt. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much. Next week, we're excited. We have an episode looking at episode two. Uh, It is all about hospitality. Hospitality. Um, So that'll be a fun one. Um, And I've been Sunshine Mayfield. And I have been Ben Pruitt. And (laughs) Max Gongaware has been... What kind of phrasing is that? (laughs) That was poorly done. Let's do that over. Okay. I'm not going to like... Edit it out. Edit it out. We're just going to leave it there. (laughs) <laughs> Who have you been? Yeah, I have been Sunshine no, Mayfield. No. <laughs> oh my god! Just say I am. <laughs> Part of your self-care ritual should this... be knowing knowing who you are. Right. This is Ben Pruitt. This is Sunshine Mayfield, and this has been Bending Not Breaking. We will see you next time. Goodbye.